0: I really need to do something because there was a, there was a great deal of other people doing some stuff, but we all needed to come together. And so for me, it was about finding that passion and starting small, starting with small little videos. And over year, over a few years, um, they gradually got bigger and bigger.
1: That's Kate McBride speaking on a Farmers for Climate Action webinar, Harvesting Hope: The Power of Young People in Ag. And I am Robert McLean, your host of Climate Conversations. This latest episode is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people, and the PMA respects their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome, it's great to have you on board. Kate was born and brought up in far western New South Wales, Australia, and maintains her connection to rural Australia through various committees and board roles. Kate has a Bachelor of Commerce degree from Adelaide University and has convinced further study. In 2019, she was featured in the Sydney Morning Herald, Who Mattered? environment category after becoming one of the key figures in the public debate about the dying darling, Barker River. Kate has appeared on numerous radio, podcasts and TV shows, including being featured on Australia's story, Crimea River, and three appearances on the ABC's Q&A panel. Kate was one of four young people who spoke on the Farmers for Climate Action webinar. The event was recorded and will soon be posted on the Farmers for Climate Action website. Let's listen now to what Kate had to say at the recent webinar.
0: Um, Thank you for that introduction. So yeah, I'm in Canberra and before I begin, I'd just like to acknowledge the country that I'm coming from today, which is Ngunnawal and Ngambri country, and I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the this country um, and their elders past, present and emerging. The other thing that I always do as well is acknowledge the country that I come from. So Barkindji country out in the far west New South Wales. And I acknowledge that because I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for the teachings and the knowledge sharing that I've got from the traditional owners out that way. And I always have around my neck in a necklace um, a bit of Barkindji country dirt that sort of keeps me grounded and and connected at home as well. so, I suppose I should get cracking into a little bit about my story and my leadership journey. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully, we have some time for questions afterwards. So, I always started with this slide, and it used to look really different. Um, and a few years back, someone raised it with me that my who am I was actually just where I worked. And this person knew me and they said, Kate, you're a lot more than just where you work. Um, so, I sort of tried to change it up a little bit more. And hopefully, by the end of this presentation, you maybe get a bit of an understanding of not just where I work, but, yeah, who I am a little bit too. Um, the one thing I did do this morning is I went to my friends, though, and I said, how, how would you describe me? Can you give me three words, not just where I work, not anything like that? Um, and their things for me were passionate, empathetic and rural. <laughs> I suppose working in a uh, public policy think tank in Canberra, I did come across as very rural but I am a bit of a jack of all trades. And as you heard from the range of different work that I do, um, I, I really like it that way. I like sort of being able to connect with a range of different people, whether that's in my sort of Canberra capacity here as parliamentary liaison, which involves working up at Parliament House with all different political parties. I'm also a researcher, so working with people in that space, or when I go back out home, and um, yeah, next week I'm sharing a weeds committee out in Western New South Wales. So sort of a bit of two different worlds that come together. Um, but what it allows me is to connect with a very like a massive variety of people from totally different walks of life, and really get to know them and understand them the best way I can. But I am country born and bred, and as said, fifth generation farmer. Um, and I sort of always thought that the place that I'd be would would be at the station, ending up on it's a half a million acre sheep property where I grew up. And um, the joys of succession, which I'm sure other people around this room probably had a struggle as well. My plans didn't exactly work out the way that I'd planned. And for a variety of reasons, I actually stepped away about a year and a half ago. And that sort of turned my world upside down a little bit because I had these plans of what, what my life was gonna look like and where I'd end up. Um, and that changed a lot. And thankfully I had a lot of incredible people around me during that time. And I can still keep maintain my connections to the bush but I love what I'm doing now. Um, and yeah, I'm really thankful for, for the change in my life. And yeah, so I live in Canberra now, the Bush capital, um, and I'm absolutely loving it. But what I've done is with my work with the Australia Institute, and this is sort of what I think is really important for, for country people to be able to do, is be who they are, but then also say how what they need. And when I came to the Australia Institute, they said, we want you to move to Canberra um, and we want to give you essentially what is my dream role. And I said, I'd love that, but I can't completely disconnect from home. I need to keep my rural roots. I need to really stay connected to it. Can we do three weeks on one week off? And so they've allowed me to do that, which means that I can get out home um, about a week a month, which is really important for me. And it it keeps me fulfilled and and going. And um, yeah, it's been really special. So finding a place where I could work that I could do effective work that I wanted to be doing, but in a way that I needed to, because it wasn't just a want. I said to them, if you sit me in front of a computer screen for months on end, then I'm going to probably lose it. So they've been really great with that. So in terms of like voice and whatnot, um, I sort of thought I'd go into a little bit about my journey um, and what that looked like you're going to hear from some incredible people um, over this webinar. And I don't want anyone to sort of think like, wow, they're doing such incredible things. That could never be me. The thing is right now, if you haven't, if you've only just gotten started, that can't be you because you need to work up and you need to start small. And we all have Um, the photo on the right is me standing in the river. And it was really practicing early on how to talk to camera because a couple of years ago, I couldn't do it at all. Um, So starting small, and yeah like getting bigger. For me I never wanted to be like the face of anything and play in this space I suppose but um, I found my passion and it was the Darling Barker River and some of you might have like heard a bit about the work that I do in that space but we had massive water problems and it was almost like a fire like something was sparked inside me and I just said I really need to do something because there was, a, there was a great deal of other people doing some stuff, but we all needed to come together. And so for me, it was about finding that passion and starting small, starting with small little videos and over year, over a few years, um, they gradually got bigger and bigger. The other thing with this though, is not everyone has to be standing in front of, or st- yeah, standing in front of the camera. Um, there's within movements and and causes, there's a place for everyone. And sometimes that means telling other people's stories rather than telling your own story. And I think that's really important as well is finding your place in the world and within a cause, whatever that looks like, where you can be most effective and you're also enjoying it as well. So it used to be a bit more behind the scenes for me. And then over the years, that's transitioned to be a bit more forward facing. And um, I think that's been really important for me as well. But The one thing right along is staying true to yourself and staying authentically you no matter what it is. And the other thing my friend said to me today when I said, you know, like describe me, they said, Kate, you're a chameleon and you can fit in anywhere, but you are always you no matter where you are. And I feel like they sort of almost don't go together, but somehow I think if you're staying authentically you, um, that's really important and it's something that is really important for me to maintain and continue as well. And my last slide, because I don't want to do the old death by PowerPoint, but it's actually kind of funny, this one, because I use this slide really regularly, not just for this webinar. And, and I always have that Farmers for Climate Action thing because there's a bit of a story around this one. And so I started my journey in like kind of being a vocal person in the bush sort of thing for, for water issues. And that gradually got bigger. And, and as the drought happened, I started working in that space a bit more and it's gradually grown to be more of a voice for rural Australia um but one thing that I was always too nervous and didn't want to touch was actually talking about climate change and it's because I think you know part of it is political as well but for so long I thought if I speak out on this I'm gonna get knocked down like I I just can't put myself out there and do that and it wasn't until last year on Q&A that I finally went into this space and it was a big risk almost like I wasn't sure whether it'd be good or bad but I knew that this cause, like I believed in it and I just needed to find the courage to actually do it and speak on it myself and I did and I got nothing but sort of applause afterwards. The only thing, the only other feedback I got was what took you so long? We've been waiting for you to come into this space and I think, you know, it really is about being brave and not pushing yourself too far but pushing yourself out of that comfort zone a little bit. The other thing on my slide is, if not me, who, if not now, when? And I think that's just such an important thing to remember in this space as you become leaders within the ag space and are given a voice or create a voice for yourself, I suppose, as well. I was back in Menindee the other day and Menindee is like what the place I call home now. We've got the most incredible lakes. If you haven't been out there, you have to come out there. Big Menindee advocate, you can see. Um, but I was sitting at the cafe and I was, I was chatting to a Barkindji elder and I said... Auntie Barb, like, I'm just so happy here. I I don't want to go back to Canberra. I want to be here and spend my time here. And she turned to me and she said, Girlie, we need you in Canberra right now. You need to be in there fighting for us and Menindee will always be here for you to return home to. But that's where you need to be. And it's something that's really stuck with me. And um, it meant a lot coming from Auntie Barb as well. But, yeah, I just think, like, it's it's an opportunity that i've got here and i've i've got the privilege of having a voice now and being able to speak for and with rural people um and i think that's a real privilege and we have to recognize as well but it does take a lot to stand up and to play in these spaces. And so I think it's really important that as young people in this space as well, we all need to be supporting each other. And, you know, when you put yourself out there and you show courage, you're not always going to win. And sometimes you are going to come off second best. And when people do, um, I think we really need to make sure that we're lifting them back up and, you know, not you're not going to win every every battle, but um, being there for one another. And it's something that the ag community I've seen really strongly and it's incredible the amount of like advocates within this space that are just constantly checking in on each other and people that I've never met in person but I call close friends and it's the joys of social media I suppose um, these days is being able to check in on people and support them and do everything that you can so I reckon I'll leave it at that I must be pretty close to my 10 minutes um but yeah thank you for listening and As well, the other thing that I do try and do is make myself really accessible. And I want to help. I've had a lot of incredible mentors over the years. So I'm always there on social media or email whenever anyone, if anyone ever wants to get in contact, I'm happy to help because I had incredible mentors coming up when I was. So happy to be that for others. Thank you.
1: From Kate McBride to The Guardian, we have a story by Damien Carrington, who is the Environment Editor. The story has the headline, Rising Seas Threaten Mass Exodus. On a biblical scale, UN chief warns. Carrington's story begins. An increase in the pace at which sea levels are rising threatens a mass exodus of entire populations on a biblical scale, the UN Secretary-General has warned. The climate crisis is causing sea levels to rise faster than for 3,000 years, bringing a torrent of trouble to almost a billion people, from London to Los Angeles, and Bangkok to Buenos Aires, Antonio Guterres said on Tuesday. Some nations could cease to exist. Drowned under the waves, he said. And now we shift to a story from my hometown. The headline for the story in the Shepherd News is GV Biz, Bureau Business Summit to discuss climate change chances. Federal member for Nickel, Sam Burrell, is teaming up with a climate action group to host a symposium that aims to ensure businesses across the region benefit from moves towards a low emissions economy. Mr. Birrell said the Climate Leadership and Jobs Summit was being supported by the Environmental Leadership Australia, a not-for-profit group that aimed to increase the number and influence of community and political leaders who were champions for stronger climate policy. Energy transition is going to be a necessity over time. Like I said in my maiden speech, it's how we act on climate change, not if we act, Mr Birrell said. Now it's a story from the Melbourne Age of February 17. The story is by Mike Foley and has the headline We have to turn the Titanic around on environment. plibersec. Tender the Plibersek wrapped up a hectic parliamentary fortnight on Friday with a visit to Bushland south of the nation's capital with that day's special guest, US Secretary for the Interior, Deb Haaland, to pose with koalas at the Tim Mandela Nature Reserve. Another day another photo opportunity with wildlife for Australia's Environment Minister. But the koala is emblematic of the complexities of the portfolio Klibersek inherited after the May 2022 federal election, after six years as opposition education spokesperson. Now we shift to a story from The Guardian, and the story is by Nina Lakhani. The headline for the story is Down to Earth, the Arizona teen whose death in extreme heat is a warning of tragic things to come. Last summer, I packed my bags and left human New York to spend a month reporting in the dry desert heat of Phoenix, Arizona. America's fifth biggest city has always been hot, but day and night temperatures have been rising due to global heating and the city's unchecked development, which has created a sprawling urban heat island that has literally become unlivable for some residents. In the past three years, 911 calls and emergency room visits for heat-related emergencies have skyrocketed and more than a thousand people have died from extreme heat. The city is scattered with cooling centres, air-conditioned places where residents can go to cool down. But clearly, this isn't working for many people. I want to spend a good chunk of time in Phoenix to better understand why and also who is most affected by the hotter days and nights. And now we have another story from The Guardian. This one is from The Met Desk by Matt Andrews, and it has the headline, Weather Tracker. World braces for sudden stratospheric warming event. The story begins. There has been keen interest over recent weeks in the much-anticipated sudden stratospheric warming SSW event, which only began this week, but is now well underway. The SSW phenomenon is linked to the polar vortex, an area of low pressure across the North Pole that forms within the stratosphere during autumn, as temperatures plummet in the absence of solar radiation. Here's a first. I've never had a story before from the Progressive Policy Think Tank. The headline for the story is 1.5 degrees Celsius, dead or alive. The risk to transformational change from reaching and breaching the Paris Agreement goal This historical failure to sufficiently tackle a climate and ecological crisis could create consequences that challenge the ability of societies to tackle the root causes of this crisis. This is a doom leap. The consequences of the crisis and the failure to address it draws focus and resources from tackling its causes. We describe this as a strategic risk to our collective ability to realise a transformation of societies that ultimately avoids catastrophic climate and ecological change. This dangerous dynamic extends to how prospects for tackling climate and ecological crisis are framed. We explore a key example. The growing debate of the weather is now inevitable that global heating will breach the internationally agreed global 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now we shift to Inside Climate News for a story by Christopher Tigu. The story has the headline, at COP27, activists say Europe wants Africa to become its gas station. The story begins. Some came from Kenya, Tanzania and South Africa. Others travel from Uganda and Mozambique. Believing this year would finally be the first African COP, activists from all across the mother continent trekked to Egypt this year to witness the historic event and represent their communities at the United Nations Keystone Global Climate Summit. Many had hoped the deal would be struck on a Global Loss and Damage Fund, through which rich nations would compensate poorer ones for the harms they face from climate change. They also hoped to see increased funding go toward new solar development across the sunshine-rich continent, which hosts 60% of the world's best solar resources, according to the International Energy Agency. And from the newsroom we hear in a story written by Aaron Smale. And the story has the headline, Cyclone Gabriel, Survival, Resilience and Losing Everything in Hawke's Bay. Aaron's story begins. A couple rescued from the roof of the house in Hawke's Bay, rural Puketapū on Tuesday, have finally made it to safety in Napier. Aunt and Anna Sebastian managed to get a ladder from their garage and make it to the roof of their Omaru home around 6am on Tuesday, as the floodwaters suddenly rose around them. Links to all those stories mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes. We've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company, it's been wonderful to have you along. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with your friends. And I'd love you to share with your friends as we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, how it's unfolding, how we should respond, and what we should be doing. Now take care.